Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This is the first part of our amazing Amnesty International and Guilty Feminist Secret Policeman's podcast live, which we recorded at the Edinburgh Playhouse in August 2018. Thanks to everyone at the Playhouse and everyone at Phil McIntyre who worked so hard to pull this show off and to all of the amazing acts who gave their time and talent free of charge. During the show, you will hear about what is happening in the UK to refugee families. Child refugees are accepted by the British government, but they are not allowed to sponsor their families. The Home Secretary has the power to change this and to reunite more refugee families with the stroke of a pen. So there is an amnesty petition, which you can sign now by just texting the word TOGETHER in caps and then your first name to 70505. For example, I would text TOGETHER Deborah. This will mean you have signed the petition and you will then get a text from Amnesty inviting you to receive updates. Please do this. It only takes a moment and it could mean everything to people who are miles from home and separated from their loved ones. You would hope that someone would do it for you. The number again, 70505. And now, on with the show. Podcast Live! Just give us a cheer if you're a supporter of Amnesty International. Give us a cheer if you listen to The Guilty Feminist. Give us a cheer if you don't know what you're at. And see how they sound less happy and less enlightened. Like, oh, their cheer wasn't, woo! 
So by the end of the evening, you are people will be woo people. Um, if you don't know what you're at, um, this is a podcast. And if you don't know what a podcast is, a podcast is radio that nobody stops you making. <laughs> which is why women do it so often. Because we're not allowed the normal channels, usually. And I often think if two and a half years ago I had gone to a television network or a radio station that said, I want to do a show with feminist in the title, they would have gone, yeah, no. <laughs> but we've had 50 million downloads now in just over two and a half years. <laughs> proving two things. One, women are thirsty. And two, television people know nothing. Unless, of course, you are a television person, in which case, hi. Uh, now, on the podcast, we, uh, we confess things. Uh, it's the guilty feminist. We confess where we feel we might be getting it wrong. We have like a shame valve where we confess things that starts with, I'm a feminist, but... These are some of my favorites, some of my classics. They're all true. Uh, I'm a feminist, but one time I went on a women's rights march. And I popped into a department store to use the loo. And I got distracted trying out face cream. <laughs> When I came out, the march was gone. <laughs> They'd moved very quickly, I think. And maybe they were all in the department store trying. I don't, I like to think. I'm a feminist, but one time I was getting on a light aircraft from Cape Cod to Boston, and the pilot asked me in front of everyone how much I weighed in order that he could determine how much fuel he needed to make the journey safely. <laughs> and I lied by 20 pounds. <laughs> endangering my life, the life of the other passengers, the life of the pilot, and that of a border collie that was along for the ride. I told the gay best friend I was with when we were on the plane, and he said, don't worry. He said, they add 10 pounds on for women and gay men. I said, well, we better hope someone else hasn't lied then, because I've been inaccurate by 20. I'm a feminist, but when I saw the Childish Gambino music video, This Is America, I thought it was a powerful and provocative statement about race, state violence, and gun lobby in the United States, and a compelling, innovative piece of artistic filmmaking that everyone should see, and also that a topless Donald Glover is fine. <laughs> Seriously. I'm not the only one that was distracted. I, I'm not apologizing. I'm a feminist. But having seen Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, and really enjoying it, I did have a small moment of wondering what it would be like to have a threesome with young Colin Firth, Hugh Skinner, and old Colin Firth, Colin Firth, both in character. <laughs> if you've, you're volunteering to join me, I, yeah, a foursome. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> There's a reason that I didn't invite anyone, so I have got other friends. <laughs> so, are we ready to get on with the show? <laughs> to kick us off, we have the most extraordinary thing. The wonderful Grace Petrie and Rachel Paris, plus the spirit of Victoria Wood. Give them a huge hand!
one night The sky was clear, the stars were bright The wind was soft, the moon was up Frida drained her cocoa up She licked her lips, she felt sublime She switched off gardener's question time Barry cringed in fear and dread as Frida grabbed his tie and said Let's do it, let's do it, do it while the mood is right I'm feeling appealing, I've really got an appetite I'm on fire with desire, I could handle half the tennis in a male voice choir Let's do it, let's do it I don't believe in too much sex This fashion for passion It turns us into nervous wrecks It's a pity, the nitty gritty I've taped 11 episodes of Holby City So I can't do it, I can't do it tonight So she said, let's do it, let's do it Do it till our hearts go boom Go native, creative, living in the living room This folly is jolly Bat me over backwards on the hostess trolley Let's do it he said, I can't do it, I can't do it My heavy breathing days have gone I'm older, I feel colder It's other things that turn me on I'm imploring, I'm boring Let me read this catalogue on vinyl flooring I can't do it, I can't do it tonight So she said, let's do it, let's do it Have a crazy night of love I'll strip bare, I'll just wear Stilettos and an oven glove Don't starve a girl of a from the wardrobe in a balaclava Let's do it, let's do it tonight So he said, I can't do it, I can't do it I know I'll only get it wrong Don't angle for me to dangle My arms have never been that strong Stop shouting, stop pouting You know I pulled a muscle when I did that grouting I can't do it, I can't do it tonight Let's do it, let's do it Share a night of wild romance Frenetic this could be your last big chance No caution, just contortion Smear an avocado on my lower portion Let's do it, let's do it tonight So he said, I can't do it, I can't do it I've got all the little jobs on hand Don't grouse around the house I've got a busy evening planned Stop nagging, I'm flagging You know as well as I do that the pipes won't lagging I can't do it, I can't do it tonight Let's do it, let's do it while I'm really in the mood Three cheers, it's been years since I caught you even semi-nude Get drastic, gymnastic, you are your maggie white friends with a loose elastic Let's do it, let's do it tonight I can't do it, I can't do it, I must refuse to get undressed I feel silly, it's too chilly to go without me thermal vest Don't choose me, don't use me my mother sent a note to say you must excuse me I can't do it, I can't do it tonight Let's do it, let's do it I really want to run a mark. Oh yeah? Yeah, let's wiggle, let's jiggle Let's really make the rafters rock Be mighty, be flighty Come and hold the buttons on my fireproof nighty Let's do it, let's do it tonight When you put it like that, Rachel <laughs> I suppose Let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. Let's I really it. want to rant and rave. 
Victoria Wood. So I really want to talk about Amnesty. I've been working in Calais with refugees recently and I'm really excited to say our listeners, if you are one of our listeners, thank you so much. Firstly, you love to leave the house. You're brilliant at coming out and you're brilliant at helping and working. And Help Refugees have said to us that uh, we did a podcast out there. I just went out there one day with a recorder. I just did an episode on my own with just like 25 volunteers around a table and we talked to them and we talked about the nightclubs they go to out there and the fun that they have and also some of the, the funny stories one of, one of them said, um, uh, one of the volunteers said, I'm a feminist, but my lowest moment in Calais was when a refugee said to me, do you dress like that in solidarity with us? <laughs> and it's, it was so lovely, this episode, because it, it, I think it just made it really, really accessible because they all just said, well, I don't, I don't know, I'm not trained. I didn't know. I hadn't volunteered before. I was teaching and then I came out on holiday. I sort of thought I'll do it for two weeks and then I ended up staying and taking a sabbatical or other people saying, look, I'm only here for a month and you know, then I'm going off back to my real life to do something else, but I'm going to come out on weekends now because I'm really enjoying it. And it, it made it so accessible um, that Help Refugees started messaging me and saying, oh, at the morning briefing, a third of the new volunteers are here because of the Guilty Feminine. And then I got one saying half of the volunteers are now here because of the Guilty Feminist. And then recently I got one that said every single person at the morning briefing was here because they heard about it on the Guilty Feminist. Um, And that is not, that's not us, that's you. That's you're the kind of people who listen and then want to do something. And it's easy for us all to want to do something and it's hard to do the thing. You think, am I the kind of person? And I think a lot of it is just making it easy for people who want to do the right thing, who want to change the world. And I often think if everybody knew one refugee, the refugee crisis would be over. Because there are millions more people with homes here in Europe than there are refugees. And you just need everybody to know somebody or one family and advocate for that person. Because if you did have a friend who was currently in Calais and their passport had been taken away and they were stateless and they were sleeping in the mud and the CRS, the French military police, had just come along and stolen their tent and smashed their phone deliberately, which is what's happening. If they were there, or if there was a family you knew with small children, there are so many families with small children out there camping at the moment, and the CRS come and take everybody's sleeping bags, including tiny children's sleeping bags, because they want to make it a hostile environment. And Theresa May has paid for a lot of the security out there. So if we knew a family, if you personally knew there were mates of yours, you just wouldn't let it happen. You'd find a way, wouldn't you? You'd go out, you'd bring supplies, you'd find them an Airbnb, or you'd get a lawyer for them, and you'd be trying to get them over. And the thing is, it's easy to see refugees as sad people in boats if you're liberal and scary people in boats if you read the Daily Mail. But actually, there's anybody displaced. And if you took a thousand people from the UK and you put them in boats off the coast of Dover, 
we wouldn't suddenly become refugees. I don't know when you identify as a refugee. I asked my friend Steve Alley, who you'll be hearing from later tonight, and he's, I said, when do you identify? Is it when you get in the boat? Is it when you arrive at the next location? Is it when you realize your passport doesn't work anywhere? And he said, well, some people never do. He said, when he was in the Calais jungle, he said there was one guy who'd always be like, why are you talking to these refugees? And he'd be like, mate, we're all in a refugee camp. You and I are both refugees. And he'd be like, he was quite posh from Syria, this guy, and he was like, I'm not a refugee, I'm displaced. That's different. And there'd be some of us, I think, who would absolutely refuse to ever say, I'm a refugee. We'd feel like, no, 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 but I've got a house and I just need to get back there. I've got a family. So we collectively here would do it if we knew somebody out there. And if you go out to Calais, it's really not far. It's an hour from St Pancras. I appreciate we're in Scotland. Uh, but it's not that far to St Pancras and then it's an hour from there so if you go out and you meet somebody you will find you have things in common I met a stand-up comedian out there from Eritrea and he said he was marshaled into the army and uh, he did his three years and then they said you're now in the army forever and Eritrea is like North Korea and he just couldn't do it he couldn't live his life that way and he ran away but now he's in Calais and feels quite hopeless because there's nowhere to go there's nothing to be done it's just every single day trying to get somewhere where somebody will feel for you and treat you like a human being rather than an annoyance or somebody you're constantly trying to shift on. So here's the thing. In the UK, we do accept children, yet children are not allowed to sponsor their family members. So they can't get their parents here or their sisters and brothers here. Um, And so this permanently breaks up families. And you know how we all judged America when they were taking away children at the border? And we were like, America, Donald Trump. I mean, this is the kind of thing you'd expect from him. It's what we do. It is what we do. And that's awful, isn't it? And if we think, oh, well, if we were in America, we'd... No, we are. We are. This is what's happening here. So there is a private member's bill that could change everything this autumn. And we need the Home Secretary to listen. So all of us here tonight have to text together, plus our first name, to 70505. And then you have signed the petition. You'll then receive a text from Amnesty telling you to find a treasure map and go, no, it's just telling you to opt in to receive texts from them, please do, so you can find out what's happening. We, listen, the people in Westminster work for us. We pay their wages, they're representatives of us. And I always think, if I was sort of paying someone to care for my nan, and I popped around to see her, and I discovered that the money that I had given her to spend on my nan's food and necessary things, I found that the carer had taken that money and spent it on drones to bomb other nans. (laughs) I'd have a word. I wouldn't just go, well, what can you do? They're all the same. She's on a four-year contract. I would go, no, you have to stop doing that. You have to stop doing that. We need to have a word with Westminster about this. And the power of us, it will work. If they think they're going to lose votes, they will change. Our first act uh, is a personal favourite of the guilty feminist. Uh, She is a voice that we need here in British comedy so much. She is one of my favourite comedians, and she's one of the hottest tickets at the fringe. Put your hands together and make extraordinary woohooing noises for the wonderful Rosie Jones! Rosie, and as you can tell 
from my voice I suffer from being northern. <laughs> it's so hard. About me, I am a character comedian. <laughs> See, some of you are laughing, and some of you are going. <sighs> <laughs> Pretending to be disabled. Yes. <laughs> Is this okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All you got to do is worry when I start talking about being black. <laughs> <laughs> Too far, mate. <laughs> Too far. I will do it, though. <laughs> Let me address a disabled elephant in the room. That's what my mum calls me. <laughs> she does. I have a disability called cerebral palsy. And I guess the worst thing about having cerebral Palsy is how long it takes me <laughs> to say <laughs> cerebral palsy. <laughs> Blind. Death. Why did I get one syllable? <laughs> but us, the slow talkers, get five fucking syllables. <laughs> being really medical, I have what's called a taxic. Terrible <laughs> <laughs> pause. <laughs> now the ataxic term is very important 
because in the disabled world, I am a big deal. <laughs> percent of people with CP <laughs> have what's called spastic cerebral palsy. Yeah. <laughs> I said that word. <laughs> Can we just all and crunch our assholes. <laughs> it's fine, actually. I'm going to say the word spastic quite a lot. So, for us all to get used to it, can you all say spastic <laughs> up for the three? Three, two, one. <laughs> oh, come on. You can do better than that. It's almost as if you've Never shouted spastic <laughs> at a disabled person. <laughs> I want you to really give it some welling. Ready? Three, two, one. <laughs> I didn't think you'd actually say it. <laughs> We're recording this. <laughs> but spastic isn't an insult, it's a technical term to describe someone who has a high muscle tone. They're very tight, so they're great at doing the robot. <laughs> Not so much <laughs> because I'm the exact opposite. I forgot low muscle tone. I'm like a rag doll, but sexy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. Would ever call me spastic? I said to them, no. 
That's medically incorrect. <laughs> I could not be any less spastic. That's my problem. <laughs> You're more spastic than I am. <laughs> you lucky bastard. <laughs> oh, I have been rosy and you have been lovely. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> warm, guilty feminist Amnesty International applause going for the fantastic Paul Sinha! Hello, good evening, my name's Paul Sinha and I'm a qualified doctor. Yeah, qualified GP, very proud of this fact. I estimated that I've saved the lives of over 5,000 patients, ladies and gentlemen, when I left a career in medicine. <laughs> see my comedic dreams. In addition to that, I'm the fifth ranked quizzer in the United Kingdom. I'm one of the smug twats on the ITV Teton quiz show The Chase. But I think the main reason I've been invited is I'm yet another openly gay comedian, ladies and gentlemen. It's not a bad life being the only openly gay British Asian qualified doctor and competitive quizzer on the United Kingdom comedy circuit. A lot of people sound surprised when I say that I'm gay. I don't really fall into the classic template or the Z-list ITV daytime gay celebrity is meant to look or sound like. You see, I'm not especially camp. I did spend two years as a female impersonator, but I didn't dress up in drag. I just worked for the BBC for a third of the wages of everyone else. Um, I love my cricket. As we say, I get a lot of this at the moment. Who do you support? England or India? England or India? Easy. Whichever team's playing Pakistan. And I've got to say... <laughs> got to say that the biggest crisis in my life as an openly gay man was not my mum and dad. They took the news of me coming out with what I can only describe as resigned, pragmatic, good grace. <laughs> Which is a result, really, given their conservative cultural background. Their background being gay, literally the worst thing you can be. Has a status just below a leper and just above a gay leper. <laughs> and let's be honest, a gay leper, no use to anyone. Don't, don't visualise that joke. <laughs> it has no basis in kind of physical reality. What a catchphrase to have. It's niche, it's mine. No. The biggest crisis in my life as a gay man was trying to get any kind of relationship. I turned 18 in 1988. For the following 23 years, absolutely nothing. The worst thing about being a single gay man for 23 years, your mate's weddings. Not the actual weddings. I'm not a bitter queen. I have unconditional joy for the unconditional joy of my friends. It's the seating plan for the reception. Always sat on the table that I call miscellaneous. 
Every wedding has the who the fuck are you miscellaneous table, ladies and gentlemen. Those of you that are married, think back to your own wedding. It's the one with the bride's piano teacher from the age of 11 to 14. That's the low level of calibre of guests on the who the fuck are you table. Why are single gay men veterans at that table? Because in this progressive 21st century, brides and grooms think it's cute and hilarious to sit one single gay man next to the other single gay man at the wedding. And we never have anything in common. And it's always me who has to break the ice for praising him on conducting such a beautiful service. But... But you know what? Those of you that are good at maths will know that 23 years after 1988 is 2011. So yes, my luck changed. I got myself an actual real-life boyfriend. Younger than me, better looking than me. Get in, get in. His job, trainee solicitor. Absolutely get in. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't give a shit about this sort of thing. I'm not superficial that way. But on hearing the words trainee solicitor, you should have seen the eyes of my mum and dad light up, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> as they realised there might be future compensation for the whole no-grandchildren thing. <laughs> yep, there were problems, long distance, he lived in Leeds, I lived in London, it didn't matter. He was younger than me, he was better looking than me, he was doing a job that my mum and dad approved of. We had nothing in common, it didn't matter. He was younger than me, he was better looking than me, he was doing a job that my dad approved of. Our politics were very different. I am that classic leftist liberal, uh, son of immigrants, openly gay, tree-hugging bedwetter. And he was proper right of Tory Brexit UKIP. It didn't matter. He was younger than me, he was better looking than me, he was doing a job that my mum and dad really, really approved of. And what's more, the sex was amazing. He liked to pretend he was the late Margaret Thatcher. And that I was the British manufacturing industry in the 1980s. Visualise that joke. It has no basis in a kind of physical reality. The catchphrase is niche, but it's definitely mine. Now, we move the narrative on. There we come to 2015, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm happy. The pieces of the jigsaw are coming together, and I am happy. I should have known better. Took a show at the Edinburgh, uh, to the Edinburgh Festival in 2015 about middle-aged happiness. The day after I got back, I got the call saying, please don't take offence but I think I'm straight. <laughs> Plunged as I was by this shocking news into an existential state of loneliness and despair, I had a tough 2016. But I got through it thanks to friends and family, especially my dad, who kept saying, Paul, when life gives you lemons, make lemonade. And I followed his advice, and now I've been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, so there you go. <laughs> But do you know what? I've got a new boyfriend, and he's younger than me, and he's better looking than me, and his politics are very different from the ex. He is a part Jewish Jeremy Corbyn fan. Do you know the worst thing about that? I've still not written a joke about it. And he's the 13th ranked quizzer in the United Kingdom, ladies and gentlemen. When I asked him out in August 2016, I said, Oliver, would you like to go out with me? He said, my answer shares his name with a British prog rock group who had a billboard number one in 1983 with Owner of a Lonely Heart. It took me 10 minutes to Google that he just said yes. So I'm kind of happy, but not complacent. After the sudden heartbreak of 2015, I realised that happiness 
is just an illusion and that I could get dumped at any time. But it's fine. I've bought insurance. I've downloaded that new smartphone app that gives you the location of single middle-aged Asian men in your area. It's called Uber. It's absolutely brilliant. Thanks for listening. You've been a joy. I've been posting up. Thank you. you will know the history of the Secret Policeman's Ball. Just give us a cheer if you remember the Secret Policeman's Ball. Uh, just remember, just cheer us a cheer if you're too young to know that. Oh, fuck off. So, the Secret Policeman's Ball uh, was started in the 1970s with Monty Python doing a benefit and awareness raiser for Amnesty International. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's been something that's happened about twice a decade, uh, every decade since then. Uh, you'll, there are some very memorable performances. Um, and tonight, uh, The Guilty Feminist has come together with Amnesty International to do the Secret Policeman's podcast live. Because Amnesty International is about human rights and the human experience is diverse. Um, now, because of the power structures, most of the very, very famous people in the world are white, straight, male and cis. Um, but that doesn't mean we are limited to that because the talent pool is so much wider. And... Uh, so tonight we come together to celebrate the diversity of the human experience. The human condition is often white, straight, male, uh, but to be honest, white, straight, cis men are in the minority. In this country, think about it, there's more women than men, and then of the men, some of them aren't white, some of them aren't straight, some of them aren't cis, some of them are disabled. So it's lovely that white, straight, non-disabled cis men get so much airtime because they are a minority. <laughs> And it's important to remember that every time you see them represented on your television on a panel show with six of them and one quivering woman on the end looking like she's on a job interview well they all look like their best mates in the pub because they are um, that's how power structures work um, and the Guilty Feminists, we are, we are shifting that uh, one day at a time. It really is working. It's a microclimate where women succeed. And it's hard sometimes if you're a white straight man in 2018 because things are shifting. It's getting that you don't know if you can grope a woman in a public place or not. And <laughs> it's confusing, Sarah, isn't it? It's confusing. Are you confused at the moment? Are you a little bit confused? He's saying, you're saying yes, but I don't know if it's just a rabbit in the headlights nod with, just agree with her and she'll move on. You're very confused. Yes, no, I mean, so, well, the thing is, we've been confused for 10,000 years about our place in society. It's your turn. Welcome to our lovely club. Um, identity, identity is confusing. So, now, some of you will know, the Secret Policeman's Balls, um, they often recreate classic sketches. So, you know, famous sketches uh, from Monty Python or so on are recreated live on stage. Now here, because this is an Amnesty International and Guilty Feminist event, uh, we, of course we wish to do this. But tonight, we bring you a slight spin on a sketch about people who've had a hard life. People who've had a very hard life. We present you with people who've had an even slightly harder life. Put your hands together and make extraordinary welcoming noises for the four Yorkshire women! Yeah. <sighs> 
Very passable. Yeah. Not bad at all. Aye. <laughs> Nothing like a good glass of Chateau de Chasselet, eh, Mrs. Josiah? Oh, you're dead right, Mrs. Obadiah. You are dead right. Who'd have thought, 40 years ago, that we'd be sitting here drinking at Chateau de Chasselet? <laughs> Aye. <laughs> We'd have been glad of the price of a cup of tea yeah. back then. <laughs> a cup of cold tea. Without milk or sugar. Or tea. Mm. <laughs> Out of a cracked cup at that. <laughs> we never had a cup. <laughs> we used to drink out of a rolled-up newspaper. The best we could manage was to suck on a piece of damp cloth. Well, you know, I do often think that we were happier then. Mm. Although we were poor. Because, because we were poor. Mm. I know my old mum used to say to me, she'd say, money won't bring you happiness, our lass. She were right. Yeah. I were happier then. And I had nothing. We used to live in a tiny, tumble-down old house with great holes in roof. House? <laughs> you were lucky to have a house. We used to live in a six-seater Edinburgh fringe venue over a pub. Twenty-six of us, no furniture, half the floor were missing. We were all huddled in one corner for fear of a one-star review in the Scotsman. <laughs> a six-seater Edinburgh fringe venue over a pub. You were lucky to have a six-seater Edinburgh fringe venue over a pub. We had to live under a bed. In a labour ward. Under a bed in a labour ward? Yes. I used to dream of living under a bed in a labour ward. That would have been a palace to us. We used to live in the men's toilets of a nightclub. Yeah, no, every morning we got woke up by having a load of locker room talk dumped on us. <laughs> labour ward, house. Well, when I say house, I mean it were only a hole in ground covered by a couple of yards of torn canvas, but it, it were a house to us. We were evicted from our hole in the ground. We had to go and live back inside our mother's womb. Well, you were lucky to have a womb. There were over 150 of us living in an empty box of Tampax in the middle of the road. Super plus? Aye. You were lucky. We lived for three months in the gender pay gap. Yeah. Every morning we'd have to get up at six, clean out the gap, Eat a crust of stale bread and then we'd have to work 14 hours at mill, day in, day out, for half the wage the men were getting. And they were on unpaid internships. Yeah. <laughs> and when we come home, the patriarchy would thrash us to sleep with its penis. <laughs> Luxury. We used to get up at three, clean the inside of our mother's womb, eat a handful of hot gravel, then we'd work in mill for 20 hours a day, for tuppence a month, in five-inch heels, 
Then we'd come home and the patriarchy would beat us about the head and neck with a can of Lynx Africa if we were lucky. Paradise. That sounds like paradise. We had it tough. I used to have to get out of our box of Tampax at midnight, look sexy and innocent while licking the road clean, eat a couple of bits of coal gravel, work 23 hours a day at mill for a penny every four years. <laughs> and when we got home, the patriarchy used to slice us in half with a cutting jibe about me thighs. <laughs> Right. <laughs> we used to get up in the morning at half past ten at night, half an hour before we'd gone to bed, <laughs> eat a lump of low-carb, sugar-free, Weight Watchers' own brand poison, <laughs> work 29 hours a day at mill for eight in a lifetime, come home, and each night the patriarchy would slit our throats with a shard of the glass ceiling. <laughs> in historical obscurity. Aye, yeah. aye, but you try and tell that to the young women of today. Will they believe you? No. So next up, we have somebody very special. I'm just looking, I'm just peering into the wings to check she's here. She's not here. Nish, is Nish there? No. Okay, so I'm doing some stand-up. Um, I'm doing some stand-up comedy. Um, I was talking to some, my, I mentioned my gay best friend earlier, and, and the, the thing that annoys me about my amazing gay best friends who, you know, I live for, I live and die for, um, is when they call each other women, when they say, hello ladies, or get her. Because gay men, and we need to be very clear about this, are men. They're men, they're not women, and, and that, firstly, that's our thing, fuck off. Um, but secondly, they're men. And I know this due to a recent experience where I was asked uh, to host the big gay away day of a big corporation. You know when these corporates have sort of, you know, like a Stonewall Day, a diversity and inclusion day that the company pay for. And they said, would you host it? I said, is that appropriate? I'm not LGB or T unless you count 1999. Um, that was my second year of university. But, uh, and they said, no, 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 no. Uh, gay men love nothing more than a funny woman in red shoes. So I wore the red shoes and they were correct. And so we had a wonderful day together. It was absolutely amazing. At the end, they were, we, we all went for dinner and then drinks, then more drinks, then more drinks, then more drinks and at about two o'clock in the morning in London we're on Berwick Street I said guys I'm going home and Matt who'd organized the gig shouted down the street Deborah if you go home now and don't come to Shadow Lounge with us I'm never gonna talk to you again and I went because he meant that <laughs> so I went to Shadow Lounge just give us a cheer if you ever went to Shadow Lounge in London <laughs> wow he went a lot 
to make up for the rest of you. It was this amazing subterranean place. I'll never forget it. We went down into the bowels of the earth. It, I felt like Alice in Wonderland. I was the only woman in there. And the barmen were wearing trousers with fronts, but no backs. It was a wonderful land. And the lads I'd been with that day lined up these shot glasses on the bar and emptied into them a liquid I can now only think of as a Geiger bomb. <laughs> I didn't know you could be that drunk. And so we had these Geiger bombs, which they insisted on, and then they took me out onto the dance floor where the grinding commenced. <laughs> now, the way a gay man dances with you in public it would be inappropriate for a straight man you were sleeping with to dance with you like that in private. <laughs> to be honest, I had less penetration with some of the men I slept with at university <laughs> when I was still shy. I'd call, I, you know, I'd call it dry humping, but it was moist. because there were 200 people in the audience of this big gay away day some young man who I'd never seen before sweet young man would pull me into a booth tell me his coming out story and cry and it went it went on like that gagabomb grinding cry gagabomb grinding cry gagabomb grinding cry until it went gagabomb grinding pulled into a booth by a very 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 handsome very buff man but he did not cry he put his tongue in my mouth and moved it around. And I thought, well, this is probably just an extension of the grinding. Because sometimes, I don't know, gay men like to, I don't know, it's fun, I don't know, it's fun. And I thought, but after a while, his tongue started to feel really straight. So I pulled my tongue out and said, um, are you gay? And he said, no. And I said, do you work for the Royal Bank of Scotland? <laughs> and he looked at me like, that's a really weird fetish. <laughs> and I was like, no, I mean, did you, were you at the big gay away day today? And he went, no. I said, so you're not gay? And he said, no. I said, this is a gay club. He said, yes. And I said, but you're not gay and you're in it. He said, yes. And I went, oh. And he went, let's get out of here. Let's go back to my place. And I looked at him and he was so handsome. He was the handsome, largest, buffest man I'd, who'd ever hit on me. But something was coming back to me in my Gagabomb haze. Um, I'm a little bit married. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay. Um, I, I don't judge me because my husband was in Australia on a business trip. <laughs> so... So it, it, yeah, I, I, I was just like, ah, oh, ah, oh, but I was, I was so drunk. And, and the thing is, the thing is, straight men, I don't know if you know this, but a gay club is a wonderful place to pick up a woman because the gay men have provided the foreplay. <laughs> Seriously, they've intoxicated you, they've lubricated you, and they've given you emotional honesty. <laughs> There's nothing more than you could possibly, that you could possibly want. All they have to do is put it in. So... <laughs> And there's probably a chap there who would help out if they were too lazy to do that. <laughs> I obviously wasn't intending to do this set for Amnesty. Uh, and, but there was a lapse, there was a crisis, and I'm a stand-up comedian, and what can you do? So I just stopped and I just said, um, okay, uh, 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 do you mind if I just go and talk to my friends? Because I thought, you know, I just need to get a clear head. 
And he looked at me and he went, yes, go and say goodbye to your friends. So I went across the dance floor and found my friends. And I went, Matt, 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 did you know that not all the men in this club were gay? And he went, found yourself a pickup artist, have you? And I said, I think so. He wants me to go home with him. And Matt asked me a question that only a gay man could ask you in that situation. And is that allowed in your relationship? And I thought, maybe it is. Is there a clause about someone being in a different hemisphere? I'm going through the wedding vows in my head. And then I thought, uh, no, no, I don't think it is. I said, I don't think it is. And then Matt went like this. Right, everybody, Sunday night to Deborah. Deborah's going home. <laughs> Scotty, come over here. And this big Australian bodybuilder, a friend of Matt's, came over. And Matt got on one side, Scotty got on the other, and they started frog marching me out of the club. <laughs> and the pickup artist saw it, and he came around and said, What's going on? What's going on? And Matt looked down at me and said, You do not engage, you do not engage. You keep walking, you do not engage. <laughs> and I went, I think, guys, I've got to just say goodbye to him because I did have my tongue in my mouth. And Scotty went, Nah, love. We've all done the passion dash, I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> but the pickup artist cut them off at the pass and he got to the bottom step of the club. And he said, you're controlling her, you're controlling her, she can do whatever she wants. And I saw a fist pulled back and I thought, oh my God, oh my God, there's going to be a duel, there's going to be a big gay duel for me. No, no, I must not let that happen. So I went, guys, guys, it's fine. And I took one step towards the pickup artist. Our tongues probably again in reaching distance. <laughs> and now, look, I was quite smashed on the Gagabomb. So this is my memory of what happened. I'm not sure it's entirely accurate, but it was something like this. Could everyone just do this? I heard the ha sound of a helicopter <laughs> above the gay club. I saw a rope drop to the ceiling of the gay club. Matt put my hands around the rope. Scotty looked up and went, go, 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 go. And I was pulled up through the ceiling of the gay club onto a chopper full, keep going, a chopper full of uniformed gay men. They said, we'll get you home, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And the chopper went over the, the skyline of London, hovering above my flat in Camden and dropping me through the ceiling so that I landed in my bed where I woke up the next morning. I'm not sure, to be honest, that's exactly what happened, but it was definitely something like that. And that's how I know gay men are men. Because if I'd been in that club with women that night, this is what would have happened. Um, I just need to go and talk to my friends. That's right, go and say goodbye to your friends. Millie, 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 did you know not all the men in here were gay? Is there a pickup artist in this club? I think there might be. And does he know you're married? Uh, yeah, I think, I think I mentioned it to him. And he wants you to go home with him? Yes, that's right. Right, where is the bastard? I'm gonna talk to him. <laughs> Six women would have descended like an army on the pickup artist. There would have been 25 minutes of crying and shouting. And I would have gone home with the pickup artist. <laughs> and keep that applause going for a favourite of yours, minds, and everyone who listens to the Guilty Feminist podcast. It's the outstanding Alison Smith.
Okay, so I live in Dublin and uh, I've moved up to Dublin from uh, my rural village in Ireland and my mum keeps ringing me every day to make sure I'm okay but she'll uh, ring me um, instead of saying are you okay she'll ring me and she'll say Alison, Alison you'll never guess who died Alison so then I have to spend about 20 minutes going for a list of people in my village with health difficulties right until I get the correct one. It's like the most fucked up game of Cluedo in the world, so it is, right? But she'll ring me and she'll go, Alison, Alison, do you remember John? John from down the road. He used to own the hardware shop slash dentists. Uh, he did, he did. Uh, we also had a barman that would lick your warts for a tenner. Did you not have that here, no? It was worth to be gone eight to 12 months every time. He was a miracle worker. He's now in prison, though. Uh, but she'll ring me and she'll go, John's after dying, Alison. But you may come down for this funeral tomorrow. There's going to be chicken goujons and everything at this funeral tomorrow. I'm telling you, the recession didn't hit that bastard, huh? Unlike the Nissan Micra, that tragically did. It was very sad. Very sad. So, you know, the, the big thing of my mum is uh, funeral food, especially the politics that comes with funeral food. For instance, uh, a fella died in my village, and the only choice of sandwich at the funeral was cheese, right? And my mum said nothing on the day, because she's got respect for the dead, right? Mm. But two weeks later, she put down her cup of tea, she looked at me, and she goes, Alison, do you remember that spread from two weeks ago? <sighs> Cheese sandwiches. I'm sure you might as well have kicked the fecker into the grave from out of respect that sandwich is given. You know? Well, she's dead right. She's dead right. Or the politics can go the other way altogether. I have an aunt. Uh, my mum and sister call her my aunt by marriage. That'll show you something now. But... <laughs> But she's my aunt, right? And she will bring high flute and stuff to a funeral. She'll bring like prawns and phyllo pastry, crispy wontons, notions, right? She'll bring to a funeral, right? And mum goes to me, Alison, Alison, that woman can bring all the volavants she wants to this funeral tomorrow, Alison. But that still doesn't stop the fact that she had an affair 15 years ago. She's a marked woman. No choice, a dip will change that. So she's very judgmental. She's very judgmental, right? Now, it sounds like my mum just rings me up about funerals. She doesn't. She rings me up about other stuff. She'll ring me and she'll go, Alison. Alison. You'll never guess who's pregnant, Alison. So, so then I have to go for a long line of people that were more sexually active than me in secondary school. I'll be honest with you, Edinburgh, it's a very long line. It's a very long line. The nearest I got to sexual activity in secondary school was listening to my friend describe the mechanics of a blowjob, right? While I slowly got sick into my own scarf. <laughs> they don't teach about that in Just 17 magazine, do they, huh? Huh? How to hide a vomit this summer. So... <laughs> Wish they did, and I wish that wasn't. I wish that wasn't a memory either. Just, you know, 
<laughs> I don't know. So the thing is, like, uh, when when Mum rings me up about um, who's dead, right? In Ireland, we have this thing called the Death Notices, right? Which is an amazing program on every Irish radio station. And what it is, right? It's a list of all your hip and happening funerals going on in your local area. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing, right? And the thing is, right? Um, like, she she doesn't understand that. I can listen to the deaf notices as well, right? So sometimes she'll ring me, and sometimes just for the laugh, right? She'll ring me, and I'll go, and she'll go, Alison, you'll never guess who died. Now, I know who's dead, because I've listened to the deaf notices, so I'll go, Jim McCann. Jim McCann is after dying, mummy. And then she'll stay silent for a few seconds, right? And then go, how did you know that? As if somehow I was involved in Jim's death, right? And at that point, I go, Mum, Mum, I love you, Mum, but only going to be calling you from payphones from now on. I've got to go. And she goes mad. She goes mad, right? But the problem is, like, I can't do that with who's pregnant. I can't. There's no service on the radio that will tell me when who is pregnant, right? So I got a, a new service I want to give to the radio, and I, I think it could really catch on, right? And it's called the Pregnancy Notices. And this is what it would sound like. <clears throat> Tasha Glennon impregnated suddenly behind Burger King and Moat. <laughs> it's a true story, guys. I kept sketch. I'm a good friend. I'm a good friend. All spurless gossip about the identity of the father to be left at mass. She leaves behind a half-finished arts degree. Yeah. <laughs> That's a sad one. That's a sad one, right? We'll do a happier one. We'll do a happier one. <clears throat> Miriam McCarthy impregnated peacefully at her home. Surrounded by loved ones. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. I'll see you. The outstanding Alison Spittle. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Lovely. I'll tell you what, I love coming to the Edinburgh Festival. I love it because I, li I like hanging out with white people. You know, if you, if you want to hang out with white people, you come to the Edinburgh Festival. That's, that's what they told me. I used, to ha I used to have a proper job before I did this, right? And in that proper job, I hung out with lots of white people, right? So I miss it. I used to work in a, like, a diverse workplace. Well, I mean, it was diverse whilst I was there. Um, 
then I left. And now it's just the workplace, you know. Um. But I honestly believe that you get to know people who are different to, uh, to you by hanging out with them. And by hanging out with them, you become a better person because you learn, right? And I'll tell you something. I learned so much about white people in this office, right? And the best environment to learn about white people is the office Christmas party. <laughs> oh my God, that is your natural habitat, guys. <laughs> Give me a cheer if you love a work Christmas party. <laughs> See how all the brown people are like, oh God, that is, that is the worst time of the year for us. <laughs> I'll tell you a couple of stories to tell you the trauma we're put through during these parties. I went to one office party, and I don't know if you know the candy dance. Yeah, that's how I identify the people of colour in the room. That's, we hear, there's a candy dance. It's a dance we do to the song Candy. Black people and generally other people who are um, uh, other shades of brown, we love that. So we had a Christmas party, all did the candy dance when the song came on. It was a lovely night. Next day, I see Alan from HR. Yeah, we all know Alan from HR. Alan said, oh, Fina, man, that was a great night at the party. And I just need to ask you a question. Where did you find the time to rehearse <laughs> that wonderful performance you put on for us? No, 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 the candy dance was invented in the 80s in America. Okay, not 2012 in Canary Wharf. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Alan from HR is interesting. I should have known about him because I actually had a little conversation at the party with him and it started off like this, like, Athena, I'm so glad to finally get to have a conversation with you. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that my daughter is engaged to an Ethiopian. <laughs> well done. I have a biscuit. Um, Alan. <laughs> but like I said, you've got to get to know people. So I thought I'd give him a chance. I'd have a conversation with him. It got worse. He <laughs> He did something I knew wasn't going to go well. It started off with, Athena, can I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to know what the question was? Can you explain to me why it's not okay to say black coffee anymore? <laughs> News to me, guys. Like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure black calf coffee is the most accurate use of the word black we've got in operation today. Okay. <laughs> More accurate than Cider Black, Black Friday, Black Rod. Keep saying black coffee, guys. But uh, <laughs> I don't know why he was asking me. Like, we don't make up the rules. Like, if we did, they'd be more in our favour, innit? We're not, <laughs> not dickheads. Um, but I thought, you know what, Alan? This would be a good opportunity to make up a rule. Um, so I made one up. Um, I said, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. You can't say be coffee anymore. <laughs> The ancestors don't like it. Just... <laughs> this is what you've got to do. This is what you've got to do, man. You've got to go to the barista, right? You've got to order a white coffee, and then you've got to order a coffee without privilege. <laughs> I hear that's the more bitter variety. <laughs> I love the idea there's a man walking around London ordering coffees without privilege and people are going, should we spit in it? Like... <laughs> privilege is a super hard concept to understand. I've got a friend who's like, Athena, Athena, I don't have white privilege, I don't have white privilege, I'm just like you. I'm poor. 
don't worry guys, I dealt with it. I said, mate, mate, listen, having white privilege doesn't mean you're not gonna be poor, right? What it does mean is that if you are poor, eh, it's more likely to be your fault. Just... <laughs> 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 uh, I'm in power now because of slavery. What's your excuse? Just... <laughs> guys, that's my time. I've been to Phoenix Venue. Uh, have a wonderful night, thank you. Next, we have two very special guests. Uh, they run the Say It Loud Club, um, which helps refugees who come to this country because uh, they're LGBTQ, and uh, from the, where, the countries where they're from, uh, that is criminalized and sometimes uh, ends up in the death penalty. Um, they're doing an incredible job here in the UK, so please put your hands together and give a big guilty feminist amnesty international UK welcome to Aloysius Adoras! Thank you so much. So tell us about the Say It Loud Club. Um, you started it. Doris, you're from Cameroon. Yeah. And Aloysius, you're from Uganda. Yes, yeah, that's correct. Um, yes. That's a big cheer for... Was that cheer for Cameroon? Yeah. Oh, cheer wonderful. For Uganda. Sorry, that ah, was... Ah, amazing. That was not a cheer for Cameroon. There were no cheers for Cameroon. But then we have one cheer for Uganda. Are you a fan of Uganda? Are you from Uganda? No, You used to live there? Brilliant. What were you two can talk later in the bar? Um, <laughs> Uh, you were, you're both from countries where uh, being gay is criminalised, and you're, you're both gay. Aloysius, you were tortured in Uganda for being gay, weren't you? Yes. Um, well, uh, the cell out cab, of course, I started it from Uganda, and um, I witnessed one of the worst homophobia you could ever experience. Um, so it was because of that I started the, uh, the kind of campaign. To, to, to raise awareness in the country, in the colleges, universities, and stuff like that. But my struggles um, ended up bringing me into, I mean, into this country, in the, in, into the UK. And um, when I came in here, of course, I had to go through the asylum process because I couldn't go back to my country because my life would be in danger. And that was simply because of my sexual orientation. Um, being gay, in Uganda, it's, um, it's, it's sad, really, to the way people treat you. Um, so when I came here, of course, it was very difficult for me. And um, I, I, I mean, I always say that asking, applying for asylum in any country is really difficult. But when it comes to asylum on yours, because, you are, because of your sexual orientation, it's one of the worst forms of applications you could ever seek into any country. Because they ask you prurient questions if you're gay. They say, how do we know you're gay? And uh, Doris, you've said that sometimes they say to lesbians, you don't look gay, you don't have short hair. Yeah, I know. Um, it's kind of hard, especially when you're from Africa, you know, we are from different cultures. Those who are born here, they're quite different because they have the opportunity to like, I know UK is an LGBT, they are more LGBT accepting compared to African countries. There is very illegal, like if you could have short hair, just mere suspicion of you being a lesbian, they just suspect you that you're a lesbian. If you got tattoo in your body, they just suspect you that you're a lesbian. Then for men, because like in my country, there was a 
there was some instance why two guys got arrested because they were drinking bellies. So they just got arrested because they thought they were gay. Drinking, for drinking, drinking bellies, yeah. Bellies? Bellies. Is this a Bellies? Bellies. The, the, oh, the like drink. the coffee? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like so, the nice... The nice, yeah. So those are... The, they were drinking Bellies Absolutely. Yeah, in, they got arrested. So those are the kind of oh, things that, that is... Be, yeah. So it's really scary. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Seriously? Yeah, it's kind what, of... So they looked, someone pointed them and said they're drinking Bellies, they must be gay. Absolutely. So they just suspected, like those guys. Yeah. Mm. So you have to be very careful. So you have there, to be really not careful to not to show. Of... Absolutely. So those are some of the restrictions that we have. Like, it, I like tattoo on my body. It's not like something that I always like to have, but because of that, I just had the fear to do certain things right from back home because the fear has been there since I was born. So. I just had, even when I came to the United Kingdom, I knew, yeah, I could do it, but you know, since I had the fear already, it's still difficult because I still have Cameroonians living in the United Kingdom. Because it's come, deep inside it's of you. It's still that deep thing. inside, yeah. yeah. So, so even though like, you're living now in the yeah. UK where you could get a where tattoo, you could get or you absolutely, could, yeah. Alicia, you could freely drink absolutely. Baileys. Hot and cold running Baileys here. There's still that fear. So the Say It Loud Club helps LGBTQ plus refugees and asylum seekers to assimilate, to speak English, to find pride in their sexuality and find the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Basically, it's a very, very difficult project because actually I have to work as a nurse and then I have to run the sell out club. We need, because I want to work full time as a charity worker to help other gay people. Aloysius is currently working full time as a nurse and running the Say It Loud Club because he's better than you are and always will be. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, where do we go? Say it loud club. If yes. everybody here could just go to sayitloudclub.org and see what they need, um, and maybe you might want to get involved volunteering. Uh, if you are LGBTQ plus or an ally, as I hope we all are, uh, then you can get behind the Say It Loud Club. It's doing a really, truly wonderful thing. Yeah. We run different projects. Like I support. There's a project that I'm running. Women's coming up projects, because most women today in our society, they find it hard, especially those, like, mm. not just from Africa, they find it hard to come out, and not being an LGBT person, it's kind of, it's really difficult to come out, like, to integrate in the community. It's, they find it hard to cope with other people in the community. So I try, since I'm out there already, so I wrote those projects, I try to assist them by sharing my own experience to them, and talk them through how they can cope throughout the process to come out and feel free like every other human being as well. You're doing so life. much amazing work. A big round of applause to Doris and Alabama. Thank, so Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next act is a big amnesty supporter. Uh, she is a phenomenal comedian as well. Put your hands together for the fabulous Tevany Stevenson. <laughs> How are you doing, Adam? Very good? <laughs> Sorry, I am drinking a pint of wine. <laughs> I like a drink that sums up my personality. White wine? That's me, pretty much. Uh, I have had about three of these before the show, but the baby's loving it. Um, <laughs> relax, I'm not keeping it. <laughs> That's how I used to open shows in Ireland. No longer can I say Irish women coming over here, taking our abortions. <laughs> so, still point that ire at Northern Ireland, though. I feel like that's 
pertinent. They did a survey recently, and the results of the survey were 76% of people in Northern Ireland believe abortion should be legal in the case of rape. I thought, yes, finally, progress. Then I thought, who are the 24% that don't think that should be the case? I'll tell you who, rapists. That's the only answer, isn't it? Really annoyed rapists. Why is no one caring about how we feel? It's not fair. What if I want to start a family? Fuck off. No, good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a time at the moment that I like to refer to as a wound-bothering time. That's what I like to call it. You know, they're everywhere, the wound-botherers, whether it's Theresa May or Arlene Foster. Wound-botherers. By the way, that's how I describe anyone that thinks it's okay to interfere with a woman's reproductive rights. People like Jacob Rees-Mogg who recently came out as being a pro-lifer. I prefer to call it anti-choice. But whatever you like, Jacob. Also said that he was pro-eugenics. Met up with America's top pro-eugenics guy, Trump's former chief strategist, Steve Bannon, presumably to discuss their shared interests, which does pose a very important question. Why is it only ever really ugly men <laughs> that believe in the idea of a supreme race? Steve Bannon looks like an actual pork scratching. <laughs> the nerve of that guy is incredible. We had Nick Griffin do the same. Nick Griffin from the BMP about 15 years ago. He was pro-eugenics, but he had a lazy eye. I'm just saying, if there's a coal, you're the first to go, dickhead. No place for you in the utopia you dream of. Wound bothering. Sometimes it extends beyond individuals and into corporations like Boots. I don't know if you remember this story at the end of last year, but Boots got in trouble for refusing to lower the price of the morning after pill in case it encouraged women. That was in their official statement. As if that's how it works, ladies. As if you hear that and go, oh, do you know what I haven't had for ages? <laughs> really good prego scare. Seeing as it's so cheap, I might as well. <laughs> Plus, I get advantage points on it, so... <laughs> it's part of the meal deal, to get a sandwich and a packet of crisps. <laughs> I'm eating for two, for now. Um... <laughs> it's not surprising we're at this apex of misogyny, because, you know, America just voted in a man that thinks Roe versus Wade was a tennis match. Now, that is an excellent joke, but it does require knowledge of 70s tennis and US abortion legislation. <laughs> Crossover in that Venn diagram is never as high as I would hope. <laughs> Very high. In this gig, it's pretty high. Yeah, okay. I'll accept that. You're all fucking so woke, you're probably insomniac, so that's good. It's the kind of crowd I'm hoping for. By the way, I am making jokes. You know, I'm not really pregnant. I'm actually on my period right now. Can I say that? I'm on my period right now. So that means my mood is oscillating wildly between Sylvia Plath and Beyonce. <laughs> no middle ground whatsoever. <laughs> it's either, uh-oh, 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 I stick my head in a fucking oven. <laughs> Two moats. Two moats. And any of the men in the room feeling uncomfortable with this material, if you're not enjoying the period material, soak it up. Um, <laughs> We've had to forever. Also, this is rock and roll comedy. Whenever you hear rock and roll comedians described, it's always people like, you know, Richard Pryor, Bill Hicks, George Carlin. Were any of those fuckers actually bleeding on stage? <laughs> I'm bleeding on stage right now. 
revolutionary, isn't it? <laughs> we'll all sync up later on, it'll be great. Um, it'll be emotional. So, um, but it's mad, I was in America at the beginning of this year and because uh, I turned 40, so and it feels weird saying that out loud because I should be proud of it, I should own it, but it's scary as a woman aging, even my washing machine's telling me to turn to 30. <laughs> So I feel it, it's apocalyptic, but I thought, you know, where do you go when you turn 30 and you want more attention as a performer and an actress? Hollywood. <laughs> They'll notice me. So it was mainly 20-year-old women that I spent my time in the company of, you know, um, very obsessed with the royal wedding. Oh my God, Tiffany, are you excited? Are you excited about the royal wedding? You know, certain American women, they talk like their voices running out of batteries. <laughs> Are you excited? And I was like, I'll be honest, I couldn't give a fuck. Like, really? Well, you should be excited, Tiffany, because Meghan Markle is living the dream. She is living the dream. She has gone from game show hostess to actual princess. She is living the dream. I'm like, what kind of fever cheese dream is this? Here's the reality of what's happened to Meghan Markle. She's gone from successful actress with autonomy to public servant with racist in-laws. Meghan Markle is living in a real-life version of the film, Get Out. <laughs> is my point. Every time Prince Philip opens his mouth, she goes to the sunken place. <laughs> and it is Prince Philip when we refer to racism in the royal family, you know. Prince Philip, who once met diversity and said, where are you from? And they said, London. He said, no, where are you from from? And they said, London. <laughs> and then, shut the fuck up, Prince Philip, you racist dick. <laughs> I mean, they didn't say it, but I can because I'm a white woman, so fuck it. I can do it. Uh, I've had... <laughs> thank you. White wine. It happened. Uh, thank you for coming out and supporting Amnesty tonight. What a joy to be part of the Guilty Feminist podcast here. I've been Tiff Stevenson. Thank you. Have you texted your support to reunite more refugee families? There is an amnesty petition which could change everything. All you have to do is text the word TOGETHER and your first name, TOGETHER Deborah, to 70505. That's the word TOGETHER and your first name, not mine, to 70505. Hey, why not pause this and do it now? The next comedian is another guilty feminist favourite and she is one of the most hysterical human beings on the planet. Put your hands together and make wonderful, welcoming, guilty feminist noises for the wonderful Felicity Ward! Hello, how are you guys? Yes, mate, yes. Guess what? It's week four of the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and I bought some leopard print trousers. <laughs> Are they fashionable? Are they a cry for help? Who can really say? It is so lovely to be here. I've just been away on holidays with my mum and she is so great. No, that's not true. She is... Look, mum's got to this age where she doesn't give a fuck about anything, especially using the correct words. So when she talks, it's more like a, it's more like a, like a free jazz word association. <laughs> where she hopes you get the picture, but if you don't, still very much not your problem. Yeah? So we'll be walking along, we were walking along while we're in Italy and she goes, you know what I love in your bedroom? I love your sun holes. 
I'm like, do you mean skylights? And she's like, yeah, same thing. I'm like, not the same thing, actually. And she also kept calling Bridget Jones' diary the big pants movie. And actually, a couple of days ago, I, uh, I sent a text to my fella and I said, I am in the vicinity, and it auto-corrected it to, I am in the vaginitis. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, it's like having mum in my phone. Oh. Mum did this very cute thing while we were in Italy, and every time she would see something very Italian, she would start singing That's Amore. <laughs> Except the only two words she knows to that song are that's and amore. So La 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 did a lot of the heavy lifting in that situation. So what would happen is she'd see something very Italian, like a pizza express, and then she'd look at it, and then she'd look at me, and then she'd point and she'd go, La 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 That's Amore. Which I loved. The locals did not. And that's fair too, because if every time an Italian tourist over here got excited about a British landmark, if they just started singing Chumba Wumba at the top of their voice, just seeing the big band and going, I get knocked down, but I get up. I know I do mum's version. La 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 la, la 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 la, la 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 la, me down. Mum was in Italy for five weeks. She didn't learn any Italian, but she did invent her own language, which I like to call Italianish. And what happened was, uh, I learned this, we went for breakfast and she ordered a coffee and she just went, cappuccino? <laughs> and I nudged her, like, where are your manners? So she corrects herself, she goes, oh, cappuccino, pleaso. <laughs> and I think the waiter knew what she meant, which is, I am too old to take in new information. <laughs> so, cappuccino, pleaso. And then the only tense moment of the whole holiday happened. The, the waiter came over and he put down these little linen coasters and then he walked away and mum's exact words were, as if they're not going in my bag. <laughs> I was like, would you mind stealing those after I've left the building? Because I'm living in the UK on a visa at the moment and they're really looking for opportunities to deport. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and I should have known that something was going to happen anyway because as soon as he put them down, she looked at them and looked at me and went, la, 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 la. <laughs> I've been Felicity Ward. Thank you for supporting this. Bye. Our token white man for the evening. I said to him backstage, are, are you straight? Because I don't want to assume and say white straight man. He said, I think so. It appears that way. <laughs> so the night is still young, Paul Sinha. I felt a big question mark over it. Uh, he's a favourite of the Fringe and a former Edinburgh uh, Fringe Comedy Award winner. Put your hands together and make extraordinary welcomes for the wonderful David O'Doherty. <laughs> Well, I feel I am representing oh, a lot of uh, straight white men here this evening, and uh, some of them are bad, uh, a lot of them. A lot of them are dead, so we'll just for a moment, just, just, uh, just remember a few of the dead men who aren't with us here this evening. So ma too many to mention them all, to be honest. A.A. Milne! of Winnie the Pooh, he is fucking dead. He died ages ago, to be honest. 
Alphabetically, he is the first of all the dead. Okay. And yeah, I presume you heard what happened. You know, it was um, constipation. Yeah. He, he backed right up. Ironically, Pooh got him in the end. Okay. Steve Jobs, inventor of the iPhone, dead. And for me, the saddest part there was remember just after he died, they put his body into a bag of rice to see if he'd come back to life. He never did. People on the Titanic, dead. All of them, even the ones that survived, dead now. Just goes to show you. You can swim, but the bloody iceberg will get you in the end. The man who set up the North Face Clothing Company died last year. How did he die, David? Of exposure on a camping trip in South America. That is genuinely true. The boss of Segway died. How did he, he reverse his fucking Segway off a cliff? That is true also. <laughs> Dyson must be shitting himself, you know? He's messed with air and you can't escape from air. Wherever he goes, he could be hit by a kite, you know? I think the Iron Man baby was sucked up inside one of his own hoovers. Just him noiselessly rotating in the bagless drum. Screaming, but no sound comes out because sound doesn't travel in a vacuum. challenging times, people. I think the only people who are enjoying the world at the moment are racists and the makers of Fever Tree Tonic. <laughs> Back in my favourite place, Edinburgh. I've spent 18 months of my life. 18 fringes. Holy shit. You know what I love about it? It's just the crackling creativity. You know, people putting their shows out and then other people just running around the city to see the shows. And meanwhile, the weather is just like, fuck you. And the city is like, <laughs> I love when you really see it. I was at the farmer's market in Grass Market last week and I bought like farm fresh eggs and pear, Scottish pear juice. I'm just like, this is, um, I've never had, oh, this is heavenly. What's that plaque? Oh, it was here in 1707. 35 children were hung for having lisps. You're like, well, that's the end of all that. <laughs> from Ireland. Uh, I guess a bit of history. Uh, our patron saint is uh, St. Patrick and he is the patron saint of strangers uh, peeing in your front garden and that's how he's commemorated around the world for one day every year. It's a country that's changed a lot. I was born in 1975. I was born into the most monocultural country on earth. Statistically, it was. It was, I'd come on holidays to Edinburgh and think it was like Casablanca. It was 96% white Catholic. Not like, that is, even the most archbishopy archbishop must have looked down from his beautiful tower in his beautiful dress and gone, this is fucking dull. It was the only country in the world where parsley was regarded as a spice. <laughs> where someone would take a mouthful of vegetable soup and be like, ah, it burns! 
My parents weren't allowed to get married in Dublin in 1968 because my mother's Protestant and my father's Catholic and it was called a mixed marriage. A fucking mixed marriage. <laughs> Must be the only country ever where two people who are the same in every way can have a mixed marriage. Oh, we can't let those gene pools mix. An exotic changeling like this could emerge. What is this? United Colors of Benetton that is all races and none simultaneously. country that it never seemed like Ireland was going to change. When I was a kid, you just never, Irish politics is like, Bleh. Irish politics is like, do you ever take a shit in a port that's blocked at a festival, but you go anyway. And when you leave to the next person coming in, you're like, it was pretty much like that when I went in. That's Irish politics. But at a level below that, this incredible organization has been going on for the last 20 years among LGBTI groups and small feminist groups that led to two massive referendums in the last three years. I don't know if you guys know about referendums, but there are people in their 60s versus everyone else. And it's hard, you know? for people to cope with change. I, I, I see it in, in you know, my friend. Change is difficult, you know? I have friends who have to deal with huge changes in the last few years. I have a friend who's obsessed with Formula One and in March had to deal with the announcement they were getting rid of ladies in bikinis from the starting grids. And he's just like, what's the point of anything anymore? That is the tradition that goes back to the mid-90s. <laughs> Only cats can drive cars around hummus seriously. <laughs> For me, the highlight of the... Uh, I was going door to door in the abortion referendum and you, you got the sense that people were thinking about it. And, and for me, the highlight was in, uh, in May... Uh, the, so the, the referendum passed by over two-thirds majority. Uh, but in, May, in the middle of it... A 90-year-old ex-archbishop came out and said, if we let this in, involuntary euthanasia will be next. Not even voluntary euthanasia, where you can just walk up to tables of old people in cafes and be like, latte for one, please. I mean, the reason I mention this is just at a time when the world is sort of having its misgivings about the idea of democracy, somehow in Ireland, we found a way to make it work. And it involved small organizations talking to other people and other people going, oh yeah, actually, no, you've got a point there. I think we should sort that out. I think it's easier to change in a country like Ireland because our past is so miserable. We're not really, it's not like America where they're like, oh, our constitution was written by God, you know? Or in England where they're like, the woman in the old helmet is always right, you know? <laughs> Make Ireland great again makes no sense as a slogan. Make Ireland reasonable for the first time. That's where we're going. I'll leave you with a song. Life, 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 life. Lifey, lifey, life. Life, la, life, 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 life. Ah, shit. Ah. Oh, no, actually, it's okay. Oh, no, it's not. Ah, fuck. No. Ah, and then you die. Life's a marathon, not a sprint. But it's a marathon that you have to sprint. A 
And there's hurdles and weights to lift and cycling and archery. It's basically like the Olympics, but at the end you don't get a medal. You die! Life! What are you? Are you just the accumulation of obsolete mobile phone chargers and reusable shopping bags? Current total nine of one, almost 40 of the other. I will never need that many shopping bags in my entire life. And now they're all shoved in one cupboard together. Go take one out, the whole lot kind of avalanche on top of me. Leading to a situation where they could actually suffocate me. Ironic to be killed by a bag for life. <laughs> Life's like going out with Amelie from the movie Amelie. From a distance, it seems like it should be really fulfilling and satisfying, but actually on a day-to-day basis, it's quite annoying. <laughs> hey, Amelie, could you sort out the direct debit for the gas in the new flat? No, because I got the piece of paper and I made it into an origami swan and I put it on the river. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> Life's hard. There aren't enough songs about life being hard. Just about how brilliant everything is, you know? <laughs> Every song from now on should have some reference to life being hard. Happy birthday to you. Ugh. <laughs> Happy birthday. Because the rate of prostate cancer in men over the age of 85 is 100%. An actual doctor told me that reason the, the cells are benign, but like over the age of 80, it, we shouldn't be living that fucking long. <laughs> the problem is you think everyone else is having a brilliant time I mean that's how I look at but I think everyone struggles you know I think everyone even people who see like even Beyonce I bet twice a year does something so idiotic she's like ah Beyonce you're such a fucking aegis you know (laughs) she gets her head stuck in railings or something she's like Jay-Z why'd you throw the bloody frisbee in there to be honest (laughs) don't get me wrong there's brilliant bits when you see something you haven't seen for a while or, I don't know, you get drunk unexpectedly or you go to an unbelievable show. But very often when you go back outside again, you find that someone set your bike on fire. That actually happened to me recently after a fucking charity gig. I go out, oh, is that steam, right? Oh, no, someone had set my fucking bike on. Why would you, how would you even set a bike on? And it was raining. Oh, Dublin. Somewhere over the rainbow But life's just exactly as hard as it is On this side of the rainbow And on that side you can't even see the fucking rainbow It's an optical illusion, you know, water I, I don't know, who knows Maybe it's even more homophobic on the other side of the rainbow So let's just stay on this side And let's all of us, even just for tonight Let's just have an amazing time take him home so we can entertain you in your own living room like that every night but as often as I insist that he does he never does our next act is an extraordinary comedian this year doing a show at the fringe called produced by John Cleese as was the very first secret policeman's ball because she herself was in fact produced by John Cleese and is an extraordinary comedian herself regardless of any man. <laughs> Please put your hands together and make incredible woohooing noises for the wonderful Camilla Cleese! Hello! How are you guys doing? Yeah, 
good. All right. It seems about right for this time of night. I'm excited to be here. I'm uh, six foot one. You were right not to clap for that. It's too fucking tall. It takes me 45 minutes to shave my legs. Like, I love the weather here. It's beautiful. <laughs> and I do, I love being tall most of the time, but it can be really frustrating because all of my best friends are teeny tiny, cute little things like you, right? So when we go out together, I can never wear high heels because if I do, I can't hear them. Um, and like when you're the tallest in a group of friends, you're always forced to assume extra responsibilities. Like I'm always the designated meeting point. <laughs> I can never sit down. Uh, but secretly I'm jealous. Like I would love to just once be the little spoon when I'm spooning, you know? Because in the world of spoons, I'm a fucking ladle, right? Like who's gonna big spoon this? Shovel. <laughs> I think the most frustrating part, though, is all the random strangers coming up to me and commenting on my height, like, every day. You're tall. I know, right? <laughs> so I like to have a little fun with them so I don't punch anyone. Um, like, before I flew over to Edinburgh from the States, uh, I was in the grocery store, and this woman actually said to me, right, only in America, how did you get so tall? <laughs> And what I wanted to say was, um, oh, it's genetics, the same way you got so stupid. But <laughs> I decided to make something up instead. So I was like, oh, well, actually, I have a tumor on my pituitary gland. It causes me to grow abnormally fast. Yeah, I'm only 13. <laughs> she looked like she felt bad. I'm like, it's okay, there's a bright side. My mommy says before I get to be seven feet and people really start making fun of me, I'm gonna die. <laughs> She went away. <laughs> it's funny, I still get hit on by kind of a lot of short guys. I think maybe they want average height kids. I don't. <laughs> no way. If I'm going to have kids, I want them to be freakishly tall, so I can sell them to the NBA and never see them again. Um, <laughs> upsides to being this tall like I feel like I would be very difficult to kidnap unless the guy just happens to have a u-haul and horse tranquilizers they are probably gonna go for someone who's fun size and portable like you nobody kidnap her I'm watching us girls got to stick together right ladies I'm glad like this side of the room is on board uh, I also don't think us girls make great navigators yeah no one ever disagrees with that um, I don't know a lot about history, so I typed into Google, famous female navigator or explorer. You know the top hit that comes back? Amelia Earhart. She's still lost. Right? Sometimes people are like, what about Dora? But who's even seen her lately? Like, I think she got deported. She's in a prison camp somewhere. Poor little Dora the Deporta. But there's jobs I don't think are real well suited for men, right? Pretty much anything that requires listening. See, the men didn't laugh because they're not listening. Can you tell I'm single? <laughs> I feel like I radiate bitterness. Um, but I do want to get married, you guys. Like, I really want a wedding. I don't really want a husband. Um, like, maybe I just haven't met the right person. I would love to be like my parents. They're incredible. They've been married almost 42 years now to seven different people. Um, <laughs> it's 
still. Like, not at the same time, we're not from Utah, but uh, if most of you guys have, like, a family tree, I would say we have, like, a family tumbleweed, right? It's just this big old mess that keeps rolling along, picking up dirt and debris. Like, none of us know how we're related. We just know who not to fuck. Because <laughs> we're not from Utah. <laughs> I got exciting news though recently, you guys. We have a new child in our family. My new stepmom. <laughs> yeah, my dad's 78. I'm 34. I think she's like, I don't know, early 40s. Two weeks older than my sister though, thank God, I mean. <laughs> And it's pretty cool, because uh, I feel like I have a lot in common with my dad's future ex-wife. Like, um, <laughs> we're both six foot and blonde and Aquarius, and neither of us should be married to my dad. Um, so when we're in public, I like to bring her down a couple notches. I call her pretty much the worst possible thing I could. Mommy. <laughs> and I bribed all my nieces and nephews to call her grandma. Yeah, but I hate when she actually tries to act like my mother. Like, I, um, I stayed with them over the holidays, right? And one night I was all dressed up to go out with my friends, like all cute and slutty. And as I'm walking out the door, she's like, you are not leaving the house wearing that. What? You're not my mother. You can't tell me what to do. She's like, no, I know, but that is my dress. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. My name's Camilla Cleave. Keep that applause going, Edinburgh Playhouse, for the astounding Nish Kumar! Yes, ladies and gentlemen, how are you? Are you right? Lovely to see you. Great to be here. What a beautiful venue. Um, I uh, did a gig in a church recently, like a church that on Friday and Saturday does music and comedy, and that on Sunday goes back to being a fucking church, right? And I enjoyed it. I'm not knocking it, because ultimately churches are places that are designed for people to speak in and other people to enjoy that speech. So the acoustics are amazing. The sight lines are flawless. Also, I think it's nice occasionally for somebody to speak in a church who looks more like Jesus than any fucking picture of Jesus you've ever seen in your lives. Holy shit. Do you think when Jesus was being crucified, he thought, well, at least they'll remember what race I am. No, they won't, Jesus. You're going to have blonde hair and blue eyes before they've dragged you down off that thing. Poor Jesus. He went up there, a Middle Eastern man. He came down the bassist from an early noughties indie rock group. From the King of Kings to a King of Leon. What a journey for Jesus Christ. I feel like I've started aggressive. I can't help it. I just can't help it. I'm furious. I'm furious all the time. What has happened to our country? What happened? There's people living in Britain who I just don't understand anymore. And I don't like that. I don't like feeling alienated from people in this country, but I do. Anyone who thinks Brexit is going well, what information are these people getting? I don't know what... Listen, I'm not judging you if you voted leave. Of course I am, right? But I'm not... 
I'm not judging you out loud if you voted leave, but if you still think it's going well, you're a fucking moron, right? And the problem is, the rest of us have to make conversation with you like you're a sentient adult and find ourselves saying things like, oh, yes, of course it was a good idea uh, for the Northern Ireland thing. Yeah, 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 that seems like a great suggestion to just snap it off and stick it to Wales. Oh, yeah, what a great suggestion. Yeah, it was a great idea for the United Kingdom to trigger Article 50, thus setting a deadline for ourselves, which we did not have to do, even though we knew we full well were not prepared in any way, shape or form. Brexit is the equivalent of me, who can't drive, on Monday morning just calling up a test centre and going, book me in for 2pm, I'm giving it a crack. <laughs> and as a nation, we just find ourselves going, well, I assume this is the steering wheel. Vroom, vroom! <laughs> it was never going to go well. Brexit is the most complicated legislative negotiation in a generation and it's being presided over by some of the least talented people that our country, nay, our species, has ever produced. <laughs> I know that some of you here, or possibly not here, given the demographic of an amnesty gig, but I know that some people... Well, let's face it, this is not a representative demographic. Let's go to the Edinburgh Fringe and watch an amnesty gig. That is liberal guilt squared. Did I... Unbelievable. I know there might be some people out there who call me a Ramona twat, which, by the way, is my drag name. Uh, get ready, RuPaul. I'm coming for you. Ramona Twat is coming for you. You've got to look at who's in charge of these damn things. The assembly of people. It's like an Ocean's Eleven of rank incompetence, but one where people just keep quitting halfway through the heist. Look at the most recent departure, a man who did four hours of meetings between the 1st of January and the 29th of June, thus meaning his only achievement, really, is to continue to be the child of unimaginative naming magazines, parents of the millennium, David Davis. <laughs> The whole thing is presided over by Theresa May, a woman who campaigned for Remain before pushing for a Brexit so aggressive pret a manger is going to have to change his name to Food In It. And, <laughs> and the breakout star of the entire movement is Jacob Rees-Mogg, a man who will only ever make sense if in five years' time it turns out he was being played by Sasha Baron Cohen the entire time. And the whole thing is an elaborate Borat-style practical joke. Because admit it, when you heard Channel 4 had a new Sasha Baron Cohen show, you were like, Mog. <laughs> I, I have a cousin uh, who lives, uh, who moved here sort of four or five years ago uh, from India. And I have an uncle uh, who was in uh, uh, Pennsylvania, America. He moved there from the US, uh, he moved there from India seven, 27 years ago, right? And the thing is, uh, he voted for Trump and she voted for Brexit. And when I asked both of them why they took the decisions that they took, they both told me the same thing. Too many immigrants. <laughs> Are you fucking shitting directly into my mouth, uncle? <laughs> the hell is wrong with you, you fucking moron, right? And my mother has said, Nish, can you not go on stage and call your uncle a fucking moron, right? <laughs> But this tells you everything you need to know about my mother, and one of the many reasons why I love her dearly. She said, Nish, can you not go on stage and call your uncle a fucking moron? I mean, he is, and I hope his business fails. But still... <laughs> the only thing I can tell you that's more revealing of what my mother is like as a person is a month ago I was having dinner with my parents, and apropos of nothing, my mother just said, I don't think either of my kids was abused. What are you talking about? And she said, yeah, I don't think either you or your brother was molested. And I was like, yeah, neither did I, until now. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Well, I'm happy to be uh, happy to be at the Edinburgh Fringe. I always like coming here. It's always great to be here. I, I like doing this job. I like doing this. I like this life, and the, it's, I'm very lucky. And a couple of years ago, something happened. I was going to do uh, some gigs at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, which is a very, very fun and really nice thing to get to do. Uh, but beforehand, they won't interview com- comedians individually a lot of the time at a big comedy festival like this one because there's simply too many of us to go around. So what they'll do is they'll send out Q and A's. Now these are all the same questions that everyone gets, and they're all standard questions. Where are you from? Who are your favourite comedians? Blah, blah, blah. Occasionally, journalists will feel compelled to write a wacky question. I have no idea why journalists do this, but occasionally there'll be a question like, Oh! (laughs) If your comedy show was a dog, what kind of dog would it be? (laughs) I'm so wacky. (laughs) Maybe I should be a comedian. What? Shut up. So anyway, I'm filling one of these things in, and I'm excited to do it. I'm getting to go to Melbourne, and it's a real privilege. And I'm filling one of these things in. And I get down to a question that's been personalised for me. It's clearly been inserted into an existing document. It's a completely different font. And the question that these people had personalised for me was, how come Christians are allowed to draw pictures of their prophets and Muslims aren't? To which the obvious answer is, I don't fucking know. My parents are Hindu. I've got no idea why they would think I would know. Now, one of two things has happened here. Either these people have seen that I've just got a foreign name and gone, must be a Muzza, definite Muzza. Nish Kumar is a classic Muzza name. Or they think we have people of colour meetings where we assemble, set the people of colour agenda for the year, and then retire to a screening room where we watch a DVD of Boys in the Hood. And let's face it, that is only half true, right? And when I say Hindu, I mean it in the loosest sense. I'm a, such a lapsed Hindu. Like, at this point, if I lapse any further, I think I go all the way background and become very Hindu, right? And I come from a really weirdly mixed religious background. Like, my father is an orthodox Hindu. My mother, in a continued example of her jazz approach to logic, prays to all of them, that way I'm covered. And you're like, that's definitely not how it works. You haven't just found a skeleton key for heaven, mother. Uh, my grandfather was raised a Hindu, but actually uh, in his uh, 60s converted to Christianity and changed his name from Maithil Narayanan Kuti to Mike, something that we found out when someone phoned the house asking for Mike. <laughs> they phoned my house and said, is anyone there called Mike? And my mother went, no, no one here is called Mike. And my grandfather went, oh, that's me, took the call, and then afterwards went, did I not tell you? No, you didn't tell us! <laughs> So, I'm filling in this form, and I don't really know what to put, right? Because even though my grandfather converted to Hinduism, I'm not versed in the cultural traditions of either one of these two religions. I'm simply not qualified to comment. Also, I want them to know that this sort of cultural trans- like, transgression has taken place, right? Unfortunately, the next question was, oh, if your comedy show was grass, would you feed it to a horse? And you're like, you can't jump back into whimsy after you've just asked me a serious theological question. But then the last question left some room for improvisation. Because the last question wasn't a question, it was a task. They'd given us the first half of a joke, and we had to supply the second half. And the idea is that everyone gets the same feed line, and then the punchline that you write will give some sense of your comedy and why maybe people want to come and see your show, right? And the feed line that they'd given us was a book walks into a bar and sees a bookcase, right? You just finish that, and that's hopefully going to make people come and see your shows. See what you think of my skills of self-promotion. Because this is what I wrote. A book walks into a bar and sees a bookcase. The book says, hey, bookcase, how come Christians are allowed to draw pictures of their prophets and Muslims aren't? And the bookcase said, I don't know, because I am a bookcase. And as such, have no knowledge of the intricacies of Islamic theology. I assume you're asking me because I'm a brown bookcase? 
In which case, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming out. My name's Nish Kumar. Nish Kumar, everybody. We now have an extraordinary treat for you. Uh, I went to see these women in London uh, before the fringe. And as I sat there, all I could think is, why are we so obedient? We could be a lot less compliant without even breaking the law. And that's what they make me feel. They make me feel like conforming a little less. And I know they're going to make you feel that way too. So make appropriate noise, which is bigger than any noise you've ever made before. For the wonderful Hot Brown Honey! Yeah, 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 yeah! Hot Brown Honey in the house! Get your heads up! Ah, ah. When I say wake, you say up, wake up, wake up! When I say rise, you say up, rise, rise! When I say stand, you say up, stand, stand! When I say make, you say noise, make noise, make noise! Time for some cultural awareness training now, motherfucker! Don't touch my hair. 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 Do not touch my mother loving hair. Frizzy dab, make a flat, weave up, pull it flat, pull it in, natural flow, grow my ass. It's my shit, and I own it. You can't disown it. It's your hair's too close to my mother loving hair. No, 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 no. This ain't no petting zoo. No. I ain't here for you. No. Things is gonna get curly one step closer. Have no mercy. No. Put those hands away. No. Or I'll make you pay. No. Or go on, stop and stare, but do not touch my hair. Don't touch my hair. She said. Don't touch my hair. 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 Do not touch my mother loving hair. Don't touch my hair. Cause I will kill you. I'll take you down. I will stab you in the face if you do. Why you think you can go that you are a perfect stranger? Get your hands away from me, you know you are in grave danger. Don't look at me like that because I'm doing you a big favor. When I stop your behavior. Don't touch my hair. Don't touch my hair. Just be aware. You've been worn now, you've been worn now. Hands to the app, hands to the app. Hands to the app, hands to the app. No. No, 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 I've got the power from my head to my snatch. My folly is symbolic of the punch to match. Or try to add here inside me twice, oh, don't come here. Oh, it won't take long. I'll beat you all the way to kingdom come. Or I won't explain to the dumbass fool who touches my mate. Don't touch my hair. 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 Do not touch 
touch my motherfucking hair! the first half of our Secret Policeman's podcast live. We'll be releasing part two at the same time next week with even more amazing acts including Sarah Pascoe, Jen Brister, Phil Jupiter's, Juliet Stevenson and Ruby Wax. While you wait, why not take a moment to text TOGETHER and your first name to 70505. That's TOGETHER, your first name, to 70505. That way you'll sign the amnesty petition to reunite refugee families. See you next week. <laughs>